the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. As we head into Hour 5, it is a delight to resume our Friday afternoon visits with Rabbi Pinchas Alush. He spells his last name A-L-L-O-U-C-H-E. He has a podcast on Apple Podcasts, the Rabbi Alush uh, podcast. Uh, you can get it uh, through Apple, uh, podcast.apple.com. Uh, we had started a series with you, Rabbi, and um, you had a little bit of travel. So welcome back to Terra Cognita, Terra Firma. Anywhere interesting you went? Any Anything you learned on your travels? Yes, uh, many lessons. Uh, we just came back from South Africa uh-huh. where our oldest son got married. Wonderful. And it's a beautiful country with many complexities. Yeah. But uh, I'll share with you a quick lesson that my 17-year-old son – all of a sudden discovered, you know, unfortunately, it's a third world country somewhat, and there are many, many poor people. But he looks at them and he says, wow, they're smiling. They're so happy. You see, money doesn't make you happy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, that's a lesson he might have first learned from you. Uh, I've, of course, we've talked about things like that. I get the sense of you when you're traveling. You're probably extremely observant in the individual sense. You're probably soaking in as much as you can to learn from, like, remember someone once um, sitting down with uh, a famous comedian like a Don Rickles, someone like that, and he was saying, you know, the thing I noticed, he's watching every, he's taking everything in. Someone who has to, you know, give life lessons, which somewhat a comedian is in the business of or has to play off them for sure. I imagine when you travel, you're, 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 you're a sponge. That's true. That's true. I, you know, I try to learn lessons from everyone, yeah. not just when I travel, right. but from everything. I think, I think everything can teach us lessons. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the great Jewish texts shared that even robbers yeah. can teach us lessons. They work diligently. They are full of alacrity. Yeah. And they're humble. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was once uh, told that there are people put here. <laughs> you may, I, I thought you were going to do this with the robber. Maybe not. <laughs> Maybe this is wrong think. You can explain it to me. Sometimes people are here to teach us what not to do or how not to behave. That, that's true. Is, that, is, that's... There, is there some biblical principle in there, too? So <laughs> learn from the good and dispense with the bad, something like that. Absolutely. There's probably something in there. That's right. That's right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Rabbi uh, Alush gives these wonderful five-minute weekly um, podcast messages, uh, and I, I'm just amazed at, at how he does it. Um, so I, I, always, I always refresh before you come in and listening to them. This 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 ought to get you about a million follows or a million a million plays. This one titled "The Secret to Successful Relationships," and it's all of three minutes. <laughs> if this doesn't get you a million listens, who doesn't want the secret to successful relationships? I took some notes on it, but it actually does start. Can we go through some of these? It starts a little bit. You talk a little bit about censuses and counting and elevating. What do you what are we getting at here in the secret to successful relationships having to do with counting? I think one of the fundamental secrets to successful relationships is being able to close our external eyes 
and see people with our internal eyes. What this really means is that I don't judge a book by its cover. I really dig deep until I find a soul. When you count people, you count bodies. Mm-hmm. But when you actually see people with your internal eyes, then you'll realize that there is a good, there's, there's good in everything. There's good in everyone. And there's a soul, a divine soul, that sometimes is yearning for expression. And my role in that relationship is to speak to it, to allow it to unleash its power, so to speak. And I think that's really one of the great secrets. I learned that in a really negative way uh, a long time ago, but it was in an Orthodox synagogue. Uh, It was in Washington, D.C., and I was working for an attorney. You probably know him. He's represented a lot of Orthodox causes in D.C., a man named Nathan Lewin, Nat Lewin. Mm. And... um, and a uh, very accomplished First Amendment attorney. I yeah. think at the time maybe argued more court cases to the Supreme Court than any other living attorney. And he would take me to his synagogue during the day for the afternoon mm. prayer. And we would walk together and that's when we'd catch up. And, you know, I'm, an, I'm you know, just out of law school to have the interest of this, you know, great role model or attorney. Uh, is some, it was an easy enticement. And I remember the first time I went in, this uh, rather old man sat very close to me, and he was mumbling and muttering, and I kept distancing myself Mm. um, because it was just an encroachment I felt. I was young, and I was judging. I was judging this old man who I thought was perhaps a little bit uh, uh, past his shelf life uh, as far as uh, being able to mentally connect everything. And Mm -hmm. without without saying more, you you can picture the scene. And uh, we walk out. And uh, Mr. Lewin says to me, what did Herman Woke say to you? Mm. This hugely amazing novelist, right? right? (laughs) The winds of war, war and remembrance, you know. And I realized, okay, this is what you get for judging a book by its cover. Kind of literally. I mean, this guy who is one of the great authors of the 20th century. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's so true. It happens all too often. Yeah. Especially in our day and age where we're distracted all the time by so many different uh, distractions that our attention spam is reduced to, I think, eight seconds. Yes, that's right. You don't really have the time to dig and dig and really find that soul. You know, I think it was Helen Keller who said that the worst thing is not to lose one's eyesight. The worst thing is to lose one's vision. Ah, and there's a lot there. There's a lot there. There's a lot And that, I think, is what makes or breaks relationships. If one has... Just eyesight. Yeah, the relationship usually does not last. If you yeah, you vision. go. Yeah, that's right. Because you're going into this issue of seeing someone for not what they are, but who they are. I think the note I took was you're almost elevating them when you look at them as a soul rather than as a uh, physical embodiment of right. something. Right. Right. You use it, the word elevate a lot in that, that in that talk. That's right, and that truly is elevating as the person who sees or uses that vision. And also as the person who's the recipient of that vision. Look, we live in a world, and I don't mean to sound too mystical and spiritual, but we live... (laughs) What do we we, have you here for? (laughs) 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 But but let's put it this way. I think we live in a world in which we only see bodies, Mm -hmm. and we don't really see souls. But imagine it was the opposite. Imagine we lived in a world in which we saw souls and did not see bodies. I think our world would be very different. And yes, it would be much more elevated. 
I uh, I like that a lot. I've I you know I read a lot of different things, and I've I've heard that uh, if you have someone uncomfortable, you have to spend some time with or talk to. Uh, realize maybe trying to see the child in them, if not the soul, perhaps the child. Everyone was once a child and uh, probably an innocent person. Who right. knows what wins moved them to get them to the place where you may not like them at this point or stage of their life, but see them as a child. Maybe there is something about a connection between a soul and a child, isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah, the inner child, as yeah. they often yeah. call it. Yeah. I would also use Michelangelo's yeah. famous line, the angel in the marble. Uh-huh. You know, when he carved yeah. King David, yeah. he said that he did not have to carve King David out of a rock. Yeah. He had to reveal him. That's right. He saw King David there. All he had he to do. He didn't see a rock. He saw King David. That's right. That's right. You didn't ask for this, but I just can't, with you having raised a quote from Helen Keller, giving you one of my favorite ones, which I think mm-hmm. would probably find uh, Sukkur or countenance in, um, in, 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 in Judaism. She said, it's wonderful how much good people spend time denouncing the devil, but I often wonder if they would expend the same amount of energy loving their fellow man if the devil wouldn't die in boredom. Hmm. <laughs> That's my favorite Helen Keller. I love that. Yeah, right? I love that. That's so powerful. But to get there, you have to see their soul. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the way to, I think one of the ways to see the soul is to almost paraphrase now what you just said with Helen Keller is to be able to stand for something. Yeah not just against yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. And I think that when we stand for our souls, yeah. when we see the souls in us, uh-huh. then it's much easier to see the souls in others. When we stand for that soul and stand for the goodness in us, then it's easier to see the goodness in others. The, uh, the Jewish uh, religion will this Sabbath, tomorrow, this Saturday, will commence reading the book of Leviticus. And one of your talks is on how that opens. As we get there, though, I want to focus when we come back on the intermediate message between the secret to successful relationships and your Leviticus message, which is about leadership, which is the lesson about big and small things. Mm. Uh, This is one of my favorite topics. It was a delight to hear you on it. Again, Rabbi Pinchas Alush is my guest. He is the chief rabbi at uh, Congregation Beth Tefillah on, uh, on uh, Shea, and uh, as he likes to always say, all are welcome. You can get his podcast at podcasts.apple.com or obviously with the, uh, with the Apple app. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. I am Seth, and I am delighted to be joined by Rabbi Pinchas Alush. We do this every Friday uh, when he is not uh, on travel, and uh, blessedly he is back in town. Um, you had a podcast, Rabbi. You had a message to deliver about life on the big stage. Uh, the distinctions between small and big things, maybe maybe we shouldn't think of things as small, as things small and big. Maybe everything matters, but you tell us what you were trying to communicate. That's correct. That's correct. Very often we go for the big stages, not realizing that it's really the stage, the stage that we sit on and that we, or that we stand on at the moment that is really big. Going only for the big stages of life um, in, in, in a way makes us ignore the blessing of the now. And... Um, we overlook all of the uh, 
really beautiful blessings that may be on what we consider small stages. Mm-hmm. And by ignoring them, we are also missing in a way the beauty of life and the purpose that is planted in that beauty of life for each and every one of us. There are parts of the uh, Bible or Torah that are more interesting to read than others. There are parts that just seem to be so very, very specific about measurements and about uh, the importance of a certain series of measurements in a certain period of whether you're building an ark or, or, or a tabernacle or what have you. And I take it that one of the messages being communicated is that these small things matter too. Some form of total integrity matters here. That's correct. And they matter also because they create, and I know we've spoken about this, but they create consistency. You know, it's, oh, it's, yeah. That's it's, the word you're teaching. Right. 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 And it's interesting because you need both. You need consistency. You need structure. You need organizational definitions and boundaries. But you also need a heart. You also need a soul. It's like the human experience. We need a body and we need a soul. And uh, if one lives alone, then really the human experience cannot live. It's the same with, with everything in life. I think we need, we need, yes, the rituals. We need the boring details. But we also need the heart that comes and infuses them with life. I almost want to connect it to the notion you spoke of with us some weeks ago about what may seem small to you is big to God, mm-hmm. that our version or vision of small and large is perhaps a distorted vision. I once heard a rabbi, an Orthodox rabbi, talk about uh, some Orthodox kids going to uh, going to a Yankees game, and when they turned down the offer to buy or eat a hot dog, that that's a huge, tremendous victory. No one would think twice about that, but right there is a huge, important victory to God just passing up the hot dog. <laughs> right, exactly. That act of self-control right. Right. that could be much greater than, than uh, you know, conquering those big stages. I think, you know, speaking of self-control and what we may consider as small things, I think that's, that's probably one of the most important aspects of, of that human experience, self-control. And I think it's so, it's so, so missing these days. You know, we very often speak about the bad out there. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're professionals at fighting bigotry and yeah. sexism yeah. and racism. And that's all fine. Yeah. But what about the bad in here, yeah. in me? Yeah. You know, we teach our children about the environment. Yeah. Do we teach them about the Ten Commandments? about the evil inclination that wants to steal, that wants to murder? How about controlling ourselves first before controlling the world? That's missing. That conversation is missing. I see it in classrooms, and I see it in society in general. And I wish we could go back to the very basic element of fighting yourself first, conquering yourself first, and then you'll be able to conquer the world. There's a whole part of um, there's a whole part of the Jewish ethic and practice uh, that is geared towards that, isn't there? What's the movement called? I'm blanking on it, but it, it Leo Tolstoy said something like, "Everyone wants to fix the world; no one wants to fix himself." Just mm-hmm. as you said, but there's this whole there's this whole ethos in 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 the practice of Judaism that you are continually working on yourself. Is it Musar? I'm thinking that's of? right. Yeah, okay. Musar emphasizes that quite okay. a bit. But working on yourself, refining your attributes, and indeed exercising self-control. 
because those small acts may seem small, but they're already very big in the eyes of God and in the eyes of life. Yeah. Yeah. I once read, and I've never been able to identify where, and it may not be important, but I once read a Talmudic precept that one is only given the opportunity to accomplish big things once he passes the test of small things. Mm, right. Uh, people seem to maybe want to miss the hurdles of life or miss the miss the the navigational beacons and just end up at the ninth inning of the game. Maybe that that's right. You know, I was just reading a book on Dwight Eisenhower. Yeah. Of course, and you there's a great <laughs> of course you were. Of course you were. But there's a great anecdote about how when he was eight years old, his older brothers were going out that night and his mother said, sorry, you're too young. You can't go out with them. And he became very, very upset and he mm-hmm. went to his backyard. I don't know if you know the story. No, uh-uh. And he started banging his tree with his fists. That's how angry he was. When he came back to his room, he was still sobbing. And his mother walks in and she sees that he's bleeding from his fists. And she goes and attends to his wounds and then quotes to him the verse from the book of Proverbs, Tov Erech Migiboru in Hebrew, which means that a person who is a calm is greater than a strong person. And then the rest of that verse is what she was getting at, uh, getting, getting at and that is, Umoshel Berucho Milokedir, which means a person who conquers his own spirit, his own inclination is greater than the conqueror of cities. Mm-hmm. And he writes that this was one of the great lessons of life mm-hmm. that he received from his mother that he took on towards his future. And indeed, he conquered himself and then, and then some conquered cities. Europe. Yeah, and then some conquered, cities. Yes. I, I do love that, I have to tell you. I had not heard that story. But it, the idea of being able to work on ourselves, repair ourselves, uh, perfect ourselves, refine ourselves – it really does have to start with a lot less agitation and a place of calm, doesn't it? The calm, the, calm, the consistent. These are the, the. It turns out that these are the same kinds of emotions that keep coming back with these conversations we do on a week-to-week basis. <laughs> there's, 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 there's no, there's no uh, secret to it. It except for you got to do the hard stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's not that it gets easier. Yeah, it doesn't. <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> okay. I, I, I hate to put it that way, but I'll tell you but what. But maybe you get more comfortable with it and, or and, better at it. But you get better at it, and life gets more meaningful. Good. And to quote Soc- Socrates, who would say that an unexamined life is not worth living. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's important to examine it, but it's important to come to a couple conclusions too, right? right. I had an old teacher that said, have an open mind, but not so open your brains fall out. <laughs> <laughs> Rabbi Lucian, I'll be right back. <laughs> Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Rabbi Pinchas Alusha is my guest. You can uh, get his uh, podcast at Apple Podcasts. He does these wonderful short messages once a week. Uh, you can learn the secret to successful relationships, for example, in three minutes. So uh, we highly encourage these. Uh, and uh, he is our uh, regular guest on Fridays when uh, when he's in town. As I was referencing earlier, Rabbi, uh, this week, uh, this uh, this Sabbath, uh, this uh, Shabbat, us will uh, commence the reading of the book of um, Leviticus, right. and you put a sermon together on how to become a leader. What do you say about Leviticus? It's one of these opening stories that is a little bit less 
grandiose, uh, less interesting than as I was referencing before. There are parts that just seem to be so very specific and filled with minutia that you wonder why we have to read this, right? That's correct. That's correct. And I, um, I think that the, the message of Leviticus is lost in the word Leviticus. Yeah, probably. Leviticus is a name that was given because indeed it speaks mainly of the role of the Levites in the, the tribe temple. Of Levites, yeah. Right. But the the Hebrew name for this book is not Leviticus. Right. It is Vayikra, which means and he called. And that really speaks about God calling Moses, but in a way God calling each and every one of us. Yeah. In every place that we go to, in every moment that we live, there's a whisper of God. And that is those people who are open to it that become true leaders. You have to go back, I think, to what we said in our very first segment here today, which is being a sponge, being observant, right? Uh, there's there's a great deal of that um, in, 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 in being, obviously, the word observant comes from that. But also, you convert this into an interesting story and lesson. I, I called it the passive voice. People in the situations in which they find themselves. Right. <laughs> so it's a great story. It's a story about uh, the late chief rabbi, Dr. Jonathan Sachs, who was the chief rabbi of Great Britain. And um, as a youngster, he was exploring himself. He was a student of philosophy. He was exploring the world and the big ideas of the world. And he decided to interview all sorts of people. One of the people he did interview was another rabbi, by the name of Rabbi Menachem Schneerson, one of the great giants, I believe, of Jewish history, also known as the Lubavitcher Rebbe of blessed memory. And he had come to interview him, and he posed all sorts of questions. And then this great rabbi, the Rebbe, as he was known, turned to Jonathan Sachs, who was a hippie then, and said to him, okay, you asked me questions. Now let me ask you some questions. No one had done that to him before. And he was stunned. And he said, okay, I can, I, I can answer your questions. And the Rebbe said, well... You're in Cambridge. What are you doing there to spread some goodness and kindness in Cambridge? So Jonathan Sachs wasn't doing anything. And as a, 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 an English man, he knows exactly how to use his language of English to, to compose an answer that can escape the, the question that sometimes we all know how to do. So he says to the great rabbi, well, in the situation I find myself, I cannot help anyone in Cambridge. And the rabbi interrupted him and said to him, one does not find himself in a situation. One puts himself in a situation. And if you put yourself in a situation in which you cannot help anyone, why don't you go ahead and now put yourself in a new situation in which you can help people? And, and Rabbi Sachs said that this was the most important advice that he received in life, an advice that changed the course of his life. That's when he decided to become a rabbi and indeed – to put himself into a situation in which he can help people at all times. And I think it's a powerful one because it, it turns the person from a passive spectator of life to an active person that engages in life and in changing that which he or she can change. When I heard you tell that story, my mind, we're going to, this was a short segment, hit a break mm -hmm. in a moment, and we'll have a longer one coming up, probably deserves this question. I'll throw at you, and we'll resume it on the other side of the break. 
I thought of that as it relates to um, people identifying or viewing themselves as victims. I was at an event recently where a uh, a man of Christian faith and a man of Jewish faith, You've, the audience would know them both, you'd know who they are too, mm-hmm. um, both gave speeches uh, to this big forum, but not in the presence of one another. I don't think they heard each other's opening comments. And they both talked about the beginning or the commencement of happiness is understanding that whatever problems you have are not everyone else's fault. And I that was kind of the thought I was having when you were giving that lesson. Um, start blaming or working on yourself. I mean, maybe that is the unified theme of this afternoon we're spending together, Rabbi, but maybe this idea of not seeing yourself as a victim of society, um, but as the motivator, the generator of your own path, your own success, your own circumstances, if it's a lack of success. Might we talk about that on the other side of the break? Don't be a victim with Rabbi Pinchas Alush. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I'm Seth. Delighted to have in studio with us Rabbi Pinchas Alush. He is the uh, he has a podcast over at Apple Podcast. His last name is spelled A L L O U C H. You're also on Facebook, right? Do you want to give? That's right. Yeah, I'm not. So Rabbi go ahead, feel free. Rabbi Alush, at Rabbi Alush or Rabbi Alush. Right. Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. A L L O U C H E. Also, Congregation Beth Tefillah on Shay. That means House of Prayer. That's correct. And open to anyone. Um, as he says, uh, Jewish or not, uh, believing or not. Uh, okay, so Rabbi, you were on this week's uh, reading, uh, Sabbath or, or Shabbos reading, you were talking about leadership, and you were talking about the importance of not being passive, not talking about the situation you find yourself in, so much as what situation have you put yourself in. And I was relating that in my own mind, as I said before the break, to a couple speakers who were talking about the beginning of happiness starts when you stop blaming other people for your problems. And I wonder if there's something you might relate or just go off on that a little bit. Sure. I, I think it, if we had to go to the root of it, mm-hmm. I would say at least to the spiritual root of it, I, I think it begins with the knowledge that every day there are two plans, two calendars to the day. There is the plan that we have for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we know that at 10 o'clock we have this meeting and at 12 o'clock we have lunch and at 4 o'clock we have carpool and so on and so forth. But then there is a plan that is made for us, that vayikra that we were speaking about, that God calling upon us. And sometimes those two plans, those two calendars do not coincide with one another. They actually clash. The question is when they do clash, will I become a victim then? and then blame my traffic that I came late to this meeting and therefore I'm frustrated and blame the whole world? Or will I be open to that other plan, to God's plan for me, and say, oh, I'm actually an agent of God in this world. Maybe I should be open to what he has in store for me and become an active participant of life instead of a passive spectator that is filled with blame and victimhood. When you look at the leaders in the Bible or the Torah, um, most of them aren't passive, are they, right? A lot of them do spend time with passive animals. Um, I once heard a rabbi say that, you know, you think about 
you think about some of these great leaders who spent time with you know sheep you can't learn bad habits from sheep he said <laughs> but they but they but, but they ended up being called and understood the need to be called and to become something more than passive right not sheep that's correct and you know the when you say this the the immediate leader i think of and the, you're right there were many leaders who were shepherds but it's moses yeah right and what's interesting about moses is that i think he embodies exactly this message okay. because how did God pick him as yeah. a leader? Yeah. The scene in the Bible is quite powerful. Yeah. He's there in the mountains shepherding his sheep. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he notices that there's a burning bush. So he decides to make a U-turn and go to that burning bush. And then the Bible says quite clearly that when God saw that he turned around to see the scene of the burning bush, that's when he called upon him. Mm-hmm. What the Bible is trying to teach us is that there are so many beautiful scenes around us, burning bushes around us. But it is the people that are open to them who ask the question of what's in it for me? What does God want by sending me this burning bush in my way that become indeed the Moseses, the leaders of the generation? How do you tell people in the modern age who don't expect to see a burning bush to be so aware of this, to be aware, again, observant, aware of your circumstances, aware of what's around you and trying to see God in all the things, be they seemingly even to you small things? How, how do you communicate uh, to people that need or think they need a burning bush? That's a good question. I mean, practically speaking, and I say this That's to my right. own children and to my students and to many others, that maybe we, we, we cannot do that all day long. But maybe we can block one hour, mm-hmm. or if one hour is too much, at least a half hour a day, in which we shut off our phones mm-hmm. and we start looking around us and asking ourselves, where are the blessings that surround us? Mm-hmm. Am I appreciating them? Mm-hmm. Where are God's whispers? Mm-hmm. Am I listening to them? Mm-hmm. I think that we can begin with that, with, with half an hour a day, and then slowly increase that. This. I'd like to do with you perhaps next time we visit uh, because I think it's a big issue and it's something I've started to do with the audience. There are all these new studies coming out um, really uh, in, 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 quite for, in quite a force trying to understand the youth mental health crisis. And there's a lot of explanations for it, plenty of them. But there's a whole series of, of explanations that have to do with the advent and the rise with the mental health deficits, with the advent of the um, omniscience of social media and the ease with which uh, young people and children were um, given not only smartphones but access to a lot of social media sites. And you can kind of see that around 2005, 2006, 2007. As that's taking off, so too is the mental distress. There's something in there, isn't there? If you want to say something short or brief about it, maybe we can lay some groundwork for the next week. Right. I I have no doubt that there's a lot, a lot of truth in that study. But I think, again, the core of it is that what it does is that what all these distractions do is that it pulls us away from our deeper selves. Right. And we are, in a way, becoming other people mm-hmm. rather than becoming ourselves. Mm-hmm. Comparing ourselves to other people, distracted by other people. Yes, right. yes. And sometimes we actually do a very bad job at becoming poor mimics yeah. of others instead of owning that which we are inside and developing our true selves, our best selves. 
I like that book. I've mentioned it to you before. You may know it. Elie Wiesel's book, Souls on uh, Souls on Fire, Fire. is that it? And Fire. he tells the story of the man who gets to the gates of heaven. He will only be asked, not why weren't you more like so-and-so, why weren't you more like this and that person. The question you'll be asked is, why weren't you more like you? There's mm-hmm. something to that? That's right. That's right. Or Oscar Wilde put it in a different way. He said, be yourself because everyone else is taken. I like it. I like it. All right. Just so the audience knows, Seth is quoting the Talmud and Elie Wiesel, and Rabbi Pinchas Alush <laughs> is quoting Oscar Wilde and Socrates. Talk about turning the tables, Rabbi. <laughs> Why not? Thank you. Have a very restful and peaceful Sabbath, Thank sir. you. Thank you, Seth. You too. I'm Seth Liebson. I'll be right back. Folks, how do you think the Biden administration is handling the economy with the banks failing and stock market volatility and a possible recession on the horizon? What if you could invest in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return, one that's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed? A portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like no, with no surprises. You can turn your monthly income on or off. You can compound it, whatever you like. And there's no loss of principle if you need your money back at any time. This is a secure, collateralized portfolio that delivers a high fixed interest rate. I'd like you to talk to my friends at Y-Refi. They're local. You can visit with them. I know them very well. They're trustworthy and honest, and they leave the selling up to me and Larry Elder. You won't get a sales pitch from them. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm. You can earn up to a 10.25% rate of return, a 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call them at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. Make sure and tell them I sent you. I think a lot about the big things, small things. Um, I give an annual commencement address on air, on radio, uh, to high school and college graduates, so we'll, we'll do one in, I don't know, a couple more months, I suppose. Try and share various pieces of wisdom I've learned over the years or over the year. And almost inevitably, each time I do spend time, a little bit of time speaking about these distinctions of things small and big and how you never really know uh, if something you think might be de minimis or small, whether it's an encounter, whether it's a task, whether it's a conversation, whether it's even a piece of advice to someone, how big it may be over time or how big it may turn out to be over time. Think of everything, I suppose, as meaningful is the takeaway. And um, usually this part of that kind of talk, I think of something former U.S. Senator Dan Coates, C-O-A-T-E-S, Dan Coates once said, which is the only testing ground for the heroic is the mundane. The only testing ground for the heroic is the mundane. And the trick there is you don't know when that mundane will itself turn out to be heroic, which is why I think the rabbi is so right when he keeps talking about consistency, consistency, consistency. Uh, don't, uh, don't, don't, uh, don't, don't shirk off anything you have to do with anyone you ever have to do it with. That's the lesson we have to keep reinforcing to ourselves. A phone call, message, you may not think you need to return. I uh, got one from... Didn't think I had to return, and I returned it, and it turned out to be a very meaningful thing. So take every little small thing as a big thing. That's my message to uh, 
all of us as we finish the week here. God bless you all for spending some time with us. Thank you for being with us. I'm Seth Leibson. Until Monday, class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.